you're seeing some of these companies that weren't software companies not just have to become decent at it, have to become excellent at it, or they will lose. And it's threatening their viability and everyone's viability. You know, you start seeing software affect all these different businesses that traditionally could ignore it. And, and, and being great at software really matters. It, it just gives me, you know, it gets me excited for the future. Investor Mark Andreessen has a famous quote that software is eating the world. He wrote that in 2011, and today, software seems hungrier than ever. In the near future, you can forget about the Jetsons and jumpsuits. The future is about more code assisting and automating more of our lives. My guest today can provide some perspective on that future. Todd Olson is the CEO of Pendo, a software company that helps other software companies make better software. Very meta. Basically, if you create business software, you could use Pendo to understand and communicate with your users. If you ever use business software and a little message pops up with a suggestion on what to do next, that might be a little push from Pendo. There's a bit of software jargon in this episode. UI means user interface. That's like the screen that a person interacts with. UX just means user experience. B2B refers to businesses selling to other businesses, as opposed to B2C, which is businesses selling to consumers. And we also talk about Star Trek in this episode, in case you still didn't think it was nerdy enough. So, if software is eating the world, Pendo is like a probiotic to aid digestion. Frankly, I'm amazed that their marketing team isn't running with that. Let's chew this over. I'm James Kotecki, and this is Kotecki on Tech. I think what's really interesting about your company is that you get to have this broad-based view uh, into a lot of other different software companies in the B2B space. What's the future of user experience, sometimes called UX, based on what you've seen? Take five, ten years ago, in almost every market, there's maybe one, maybe two vendors, and like people were just happy to have some choice around automation for certain areas. Um, now with the cloud, we're seeing much greater innovation, and now people are differentiating on design, on UI. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have a simpler UI. You should buy me. You know, and I think that's one of the things that's most unique, and it's forcing people to build practices in UI, UX design that, that traditionally haven't needed it before. You know, and most people just put a single UI together and just they go at it, right? You know, right. where I think what we're going to see in, in is a more personalized, more contextualized UI that's just showing each role what what they need, um, and, and I, I think that's going to lead. I mean, just better design, you know. So you know what we saw before, like when you go to like Salesforce or any of these products, it's there's just a I mean, there's a lot of features everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. But I contextualization, personalization, I mean, I got, that's absolutely necessary um, in, in the future. And, um, you know, the other cool thing that I think that we see is just this whole digital disruption, software seeing the world phenomena, which is just yeah. super cool. You know, like we have some amazing customers. You would never think our customers, right? So we, you know, last quarter we signed, uh, I think it was last quarter, but uh, Bright Horizons. And, you know, the Bright Horizons is a, is a daycare company. Yeah, you know, I know because I've dropped my kids off there, right? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and so like, well, why would you? Like, why do we have Bright Horizon? Well, they have software interfaces that people inter- interface with, and they want to make them easier to use, right? So, so that's, I mean, they're becoming a digital business, and digital business more enough where they buy something like Pendo, you know, which is really interesting. And and uh, um, we're working with um, a big conglomerate called Relics Group, uh, which you know they have a bunch of subsidiaries. Lexus Nexus is one, uh, Reed Elsevier is another. Um, 
and you know this company started producing like paper research catalogs and then of course they go to cd-rom catalogs and now they're online and then when they're online who who competes on the online world for research well companies like google so if you think about this company that's been around for so many years and they go from uh you know, probably more conventional competition to now having to be with Google, who basically is a software company and has been their entire DNA. Think yeah. about how you need to transition your leadership and your thought. Like that sounds hard, right? Yeah. And it is hard, you know. Um, and while they have decades of experience in this market, they're now going into a company with decades of experience in software. And so it's you're seeing some of these companies that weren't software companies not just have to become decent at it, have to become excellent at it, or they will lose. And it's threatening their viability and everyone's viability. So I think that to me the part that I just get so like I'm frankly excited about because I think it's as a software guy, you know, and building software my entire career, you know, you start seeing software affect all these different businesses that traditionally you could ignore it. Yeah. And, and, and being great at software really matters. It, it just gives me, you know, it gets me excited for the future. What's the biggest part of the world that software has yet to eat? You know, I think some people will say healthcare um, because it's just so heavily regulated. It's so complicated. Certainly in the United States, you know, it's a kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah. You know, I, I think that of all the things, I mean, it is. Like why all my medical records aren't like on my phone and that like nothing's portable between plays and people are still faxing things like that is, I mean I know there are applications out there and there's people trying to disrupt it. It's just incredibly slow. You know it feels glacial, right? I know you know you read about you know Microsoft is trying to fix it and Google tries to fix it and I mean I think a lot of them failed. You know from I remember you know things like Google Health that came out and then never went anywhere, right? So. I think that's an area that, as a consumer, it just stresses me out that it's like like way more manual than it feels like it needs to be. Yeah. So uh, growing up, I watched a lot of Star Trek The Next Generation. And frankly, I still do on Netflix. And in that show and many sci-fi shows, people just talk to computers and the computer just does exactly what they want. Yeah. Um, how, and now we have things like Siri and Alexa, obviously not at the level of sophistication of the computer on Star Trek, but we seem to be moving in this direction of people having this expectation of direct contact with machines. And I know Alexa for business is a thing that's, I believe, gaining some prominence as well. So it's not just a consumer product. Uh, how far away from your perspective are we from that dream of just telling the computer what you want it to do and it does it? Can we even get there? And how far away does it look to you? I mean, of course, we can get there. We're, as you said, we're, we're pretty darn close, right? And, and, and although I read in the front page of the Wall Street Journal today that Alexa was randomly recording people's phone or right. conversations and sending and, it to people. So and I don't know there's... how close we are for that reason, right? Because we're doing – because, you know, and I, I think there's so much nuance in how the computer needs to interpret not what is said but what is meant, right? And that's what a human can often do based on emotional cues and context clues that often uh, machines at this point still lack. Yeah, yeah. And I believe a lot of those technologies are actually uploading in real time the the – the command to the cloud, parsing it and then taking action on it versus taking things at the device cell. That's why the devices can be so small. Yeah. So I don't know if part of the solution is actually putting better hardware on some of these local devices. The devices will get more expensive, but then you will have less privacy issues. So, so I think there, there's some, you know, I, I think it, it, it's coming, you know, and, and I think, um, 
Now, you know, I'll, I'll counter as well. I don't think it's going to replace everything. And I think it'll never replace it. Even on the next generation, for example, the was it Jordy, the dude with the glasses that used right. to control the, you know, I mean, he was still controlling the ship with his fingers, you yeah. know, and he's still pressing buttons up. And like, as far as speed, yeah. reactiveness, like someone in a professional setting, like, dude, I'm, I'm flying a spaceship. Like I'm using my hands and you want to yeah. control it. You don't want like someone to get back. And what did you mean by that? Right. When you're trying to move a spaceship. So I think. And I think in the business world, we're moving spaceships often when I'm doing my work. So I don't, I don't want something interpreting me. I, I'm generally smarter than the machine. And, and, you know, so I think, but at home, like turning on music or maybe ordering something or, you know, basic capabilities, you know, um, if I'm in a self-driving car and I, um, you know, want to change the temperature, I think, yeah, totally fine. If I'm in a self-driving car and I want to turn right, I'm not going to like yell out, turn right. I'm going to grab the handle and turn right. Right. So I think. I think it comes to I mean, the, the, the criticality of the action and what you're doing with it. Um, uh, how important is it to get it right? Um, I think these are all things that we have to ask ourselves and what percentage of our activities are going to shift to voice-based commands versus not. But I, I'm actually really interested in this, this market. And I think, you know, I've even thought of the evolution of our software because our job is to measure the experience. We're going to have to measure the experience of speech-based interfaces. And, you know, I don't, I don't limit Pendo's opportunity to just keyboards or UIs, but I, I don't think that everything is going to be voice activated. I, I think what we're going to see is a certain class of operations will be designated for voice and a certain class of operations will be designated for, for um, you know, hands on keyboard. And I think, again, it comes down to the criticality of, of the actual activity itself. One thing that's come into public consciousness in the last few years is the power that a software designer actually has to leverage insights about human psychology to create their app or their product in a way that makes the person uh, behave in different ways. And for a consumer product, it's often to make it more addictive, to make you spend more time on the product. For business products, it might be a little bit different. But do you deal with that line in your work? And what's your responsibility to it? How do you think about it? And how do you deal with it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we we, um, we had at our, our um, user conference, Pandemonium, in, in March near Al, who wrote the book Hooked, right? Who who actually did research on it and documented the cycle of you know hooking people, essentially creating an addiction to an app. And, and yes, he he um he he focused most on consumer apps, but I believe he's actually talking about you know doing research right now on B two B apps and something that he and I were chatting with. So I I I. I and I do think it is different in B2C versus B2B. In B2B, most of the activities I'm doing are on the behalf of a company to try to implement a business process, right? And if I can do that more effectively, that's probably good for everyone. But as far as in the consumer world, I think you have a huge responsibility in, in, um, in, in creating a safe environment, you know? And, and you know, I've asked folks at places like Instagram, do you feel like a responsibility to parents to try to limit the amount of time kids spend on this because ultimately it's not good for our children we want them you know reading books and playing outside and developing real relationships not not digital relationships machine learning analytics i've talked to product managers in this space and they've applied some of these techniques to find bad behavior everything from bullying to just plain being mean um, uh, you know, mm-hmm. parsing sentiment analysis, things like that. I think there's, there's a ton of responsibility. Look, if we hurt the people using our software, it only hurts us, right? You know, if, if I do something to 
created an addiction that that causes them to lose their job or do their job not effectively or whatever. I mean, like I'm not helping that person, and, and ultimately I have a responsibility as a customer facing individual to help help the, the consumer and the consumers. Yeah, you know, that's where my ultimate responsibility lies in my mind. And there are. There are certain classes of software that are meant for business use, but that are designed to have kind of the feel and vibe of a consumer product. So we're talking about maybe you don't deal with this as much because you're more on the business to business side. But what about apps like Slack or a checklist app like Asana, which is very social and allows you to like things? I mean, any situation where it's an app that allows people to interact with each other in some ways might have some of these same challenges, even if it is meant for the office. Yeah, you know, I've joked about this. I was wondering, you know, it's like a highly extensible thing. So so it could be interesting to see what some of the innovation happens on side. But um, and, and we, we're heavy Slack users. And I think by and large, it's good. But, I, you know, I found myself a few times having Slack conversations where um, I was getting snarky. You know, it's just easy to get that way, you know. Mm-hmm. So I've always wondered if I could have a bot you know, installed in my Slack, which measures a level of sarcasm or passive aggressiveness and, you know, gives me like a undo button or something to that effect, you know, before I, I send it off because I feel like I'm a worse person when I'm messaging people on Slack than I am a person, <laughs> right? And um, yeah. do I think they have a responsibility? Um, uh, yeah, at some high level they do. I think they'd be, be cognizant of it. I think the addiction piece, I mean, being addicted to communicating with someone is not a bad thing. It's actually collaborative, and I think in many, many ways it's healthy. But what I, what I think's not healthy is is replacing face-to-face or human interaction and um, with solely, you know, solely chat. And I think there is video now added to it, and they're, they're continuing to add features to make things more real and more human, and I think they need to continue to do so. Let's end with a little bit of a lightning round. What is the uh, best and worst product software design feature that you've seen? Best and worst. You know, best piece of software that I've used is, is actually Slack. You know, I mean, as far as it's got a lot of delighters in it, it's pretty awesome. So delighters um, is that a term that you guys use in the industry? Delighters? Yes, it is. I mean, like things that like shock you how cool they are. That's a delighter. So, and, huh. the, and Slack is littered with delighters. So it's huh. a good thing. Um, uh, worst software that I've used. Um, and oh, no, oh, I, I have one now. Now, okay, yeah. So, I will say, uh, and like the company, but their software, the Trinet, uh, yes. which was our, our PEO. The benefits company. I tried to add my kid as like a, like, and it was like possibly the worst. I had to call someone. Like if you have me, I mean, I have a computer science degree, having to call someone because I couldn't yeah. figure out the UI, like, and like adding a kid, something's <laughs> severely wrong. So yeah, that, that was bad. Any final thoughts as we wrap up? No, no, just no, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> So I will say Todd Olson is the CEO of Pendo. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, James. Appreciate it. Well, that's our show. Thanks for listening. Please rate and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave a review, I might even read it on the air. Like this five-star review from WSparks42. Quality content and good timing. Well, I'm glad you appreciate the timing, WSparks42, because when it comes to the high-stakes world of podcasting, timing is everything. I'm James Kotecki, and this is Kotecki on Tech.